David Letterman was a staple of late night television and was raking in tens of millions of dollars a year to do what he loved. Life was good. Until one day he found a mysterious package and letter in his car. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. How are we? We are really good and really looking forward to this one. I have to say, I didn't think much of it when we threw Eilish, our new researcher, this topic and said, have a look into it, see what's in it. I think I had to fight for it a little bit. You did, had to fight for it. (laughs) You absolutely had to fight for it. And then when Eilish got this story back to me, I was like, this is outrageous. (laughs) And this only happened in 2009. It's recent. It's really recent, but it fell off everybody's radars. And I think there's a reason for that that we Mm. will talk about in the next two episodes. I'm crawling out of my skin to talk about this. Now, (laughs) this is the first instalment of a series we're going to call The Hollywood Philanderers. Mm. Scandal listeners might remember that we did The Nanny Diaries last year where we looked at Ben Affleck and Jude Law. And we know how much you guys love cheating scandals and you know that we love them too. We adore them. So we thought there are so many philanderers in Hollywood. <laughs> we thought why not turn some of their most scandalous examples into a series? Yeah. Unfortunately for the men, the first oh. sort of four, four stories, the first three stories I should say we've picked are men. They're the fellas. Yeah, and I'm excited about the Hollywood philanderers because we're talking about three men over the next month or so, but... We could dip back into this series again and again and again. Did you know a philanderer is by definition a male? Oh, Oh, there you go. go. Unfortunately, guys. What a shame. This series is just about the men. (laughs) So we're starting with David Letterman. And I think this has got to be one of the the most wild cheating stories I've actually heard. It's the kind of story that actually feels a bit like fiction. I mean, David Letterman, of course, is really well known right now. But back in 2009, when this happened, he was one of the most well known comedians in the world, Mm. one of the most successful people to ever take the reins of a late night TV show. But before we kind of get into what happened, Mish, we need to do what we always do, which is go back in time a little bit and rewind to 1947 to his early days. All right, Zara. David Letterman was born in Indiana in 1947. He grew up admiring his father's ability to make others laugh. In an interview with Esquire years later, he would say that his dad was, and I quote, the circus. He was the show. When he walked through the room, the lamps would rattle. And I love that. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Now, David studied radio and television at Ball State University in Indiana and went on to become an anchor and weatherman on a local news station, Weatherman Dave. Yeah, it was actually his stint as a weatherman where he began to find his feet as a comic and television personality. According to an interview with Playboy years later, and I quote, David once reported that the city was being pelted with hail the size of canned hams <laughs> and enthusiastically congratulated a tropical storm when it was upgraded to hurricane status. I quite like that. I, I mean, get it. I can see it. I can see it for sure. And I think it would bring a bit of, I don't know, pizzazz to the whole whole role. The thing about David Letterman, and I think it's probably good for me to say this from the start, is 
he is so unlikable in, in so many facets of his career. <laughs> Truly. I mean, the last couple of scandals we've done, we did one on Lindsay Lohan and we did one on Paris Hilton. And in both of those scandals, mm. we talked about problematic interviews that they did with David Letterman, where David Letterman made them feel deeply uncomfortable. He's like, what's the opposite of a patron saint? He's the opposite of a patron saint for scandal series. He pops up in every second one. Exactly. But every so often he will say something funny in this episode. <laughs> and I'm allowed to say that those instances are funny. You know what? People are flawed. People are complicated. We all have good parts and bad parts. And David has some pretty public bad parts, but there are some good parts to go along with it. Of course. Now, in 1975, when David was 29 years old, he moved to LA with his then wife, Michelle Cook. And it was there that his big break happened almost immediately. Yeah, because once he arrived in LA, David began performing stand-up comedy at the famous comedy club, The Comedy Store. His routines were so well received that he was actually asked to become a regular guest on the Johnny Carson show. And then he became like best mates. He formed a lifelong friendship with Johnny Carson, which is a pretty powerful person in the American media landscape. Yeah, absolutely. By 1980, he was hosting his own morning show on NBC called The David Letterman Show. Although despite winning two Emmys and actually being praised by critics, The David Letterman Show did not rate very well and was cancelled after less than a year on the air. I cannot imagine him hosting a morning show. I'm trying to think, if I was tuning into a morning show, I want like the news and stuff, whereas David Letterman doesn't give me that vibe. No, but I can see the transition if you've gone from sort of weatherman weatherman, and Mm. then he's actually a funny weatherman. I can imagine people saying maybe he is the perfect fit for morning TV. It's just with hindsight, we look back and we think that doesn't quite work. Yes, so fair. It's hard to pinpoint a specific reason why ratings were so low for the David Letterman show. One theory is that he's offbeat, dry humour, didn't really resonate with the vibe of the morning when people are feeling a little more serious, a little bit more motivated. Well, people are waking up. So if you're yeah. saying something dry, it kind of goes <laughs> over everybody's heads. So true. As Bob Sassone wrote for Esquire, as it turns out, Dave in the morning was a lot like Dave at night would later be. Irreverent and slightly askew with goofy comedy segments and guests doing odd things, especially for a time slot that up until then was filmed with a trio of game shows. The morning show had the feel of a weird after midnight show. Yeah, that's certainly not going to last no. over a year. Speaking about the ill-fated morning show to Edward Woodward. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Edward Woodward. That poor guy. Sorry. Edward. That's that probably how people the laugh at his name. I just had a bit of shock as that rolled out of my mouth. <laughs> Who calls their kid Edward? Edward Wooded. Edward uh, Woodward. Oh, <laughs> uh, I did mispronounce it. It is Edward Wooded. Yeah. Now <laughs> it doesn't make it, it doesn't better. make it that much better. Also, I'm just googling him now. He's he's quite a well known actor and singer. Oh. Well, he was in oh. in the UK. Now David said after the morning show, I really didn't know. It was a great period of anxiety for me. Fortunately, I was very very lucky. I have been as lucky as anyone can get in show business. The morning show was largely an on the air audition. We had many obstacles to overcome, not the least of which was the time period. We came to New York ready to do that show, thinking we had all the answers. And like Tuesday after we've been on air, we realised we didn't hardly have a clue. Yeah, NBC execs knew that they had something with David Letterman and actually decided to give him another shot, this time in a later time slot that suited his style of comedy. And look, they were correct. They were bang on. Obviously, David Letterman went on to be one of the most successful popular television personalities of all time however I always kind of like sigh a little bit when I read this about 
male television personalities, not because they don't deserve it, but because I feel like women, when they are media personalities and when they're trialed in television, if it doesn't work straight away, execs look at them and go, well, they're not right. We're not going to give them a second (laughs) chance. They're just not right. Women don't get that like second, third chance to really hit their stride. Yeah, absolutely. Or are ever given the benefit of the doubt. I think Mm. minorities across the board in media are not given the benefit of the doubt to say, okay, well, this time slot didn't work, but we have faith in you. Like when I read this fact about David Letterman that his morning show was like a massive flop, like critically you know, successful, Mm. but not at all commercially successful. Nobody watched the show. Nobody got it. And I just thought if you had a year doing that and it didn't work, you're not being given then a primetime late night slot like he was because he was given late night with David Letterman, his first foray into late night TV, which premiered in Feb 1982. It was pretty successful almost straight away. So the executives were right. Episode one pulled an audience of 1.5 million viewers. It probably helped that the show was broadcast directly after The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, the show that, of course, we talked about before, Mm. which had David as a featured guest many times by this point. Yeah, Late Night with David Letterman was a runaway success. It ran for 11 years and won five primetime Emmy Awards. Only David eventually decided to take that success elsewhere. In August 1993, he moved to rival network CBS and launched The Late Show with David Letterman. There he became even more well-known for his unpredictable interviews with like the world's biggest celebrities. For example, on The Late Show, once he moved to CBS, a 20-year-old Drew Barrymore actually flashed David on air during her appearance in 1995, which became this, I don't know what you would call it, viral before the age of the internet, but it Memorable. (laughs) Memorable. It became iconic. Yeah, of course. The Washington Post reported at the time that Letterman was pocketing $16 million a year for the gig. That is serious money. I mean, keep in mind as well, this is in the 90s. Mm. Like, this is a long time ago. On a good night, he was talking down the camera to 7 million Americans. The LA Times dubbed him the king of late night TV. Yeah, but there was one guest on David Letterman's show who really stood out and not always for the right reason. Because despite his eventual success as a late night TV host, David Letterman's interviews and his segments were not without controversy. In fact, a feud with another beloved television personality would kind of plague David Letterman for 16 years. There was a long-standing reported feud between David Letterman and Oprah Winfrey, and it is a very confusing one. Yeah, let's try and get to the bottom of it because we have to talk about this if we're going to talk about David Letterman. So to set the scene, we kind of need to play with the timeline a little bit, but stay with us. We will try to keep it as clear as possible. Now, when Late Night travelled to Chicago in 1989, Oprah actually appeared as a guest. Now, this would be the last time she would appear on any David Letterman show for 16 years despite repeated requests from David's camp. 16 years is a very long time. Yeah, for sure. At the time, the Chicago Tribune reviewed the taping of the episode and included a pretty great description of what was a pretty awkward chat that transpired between Oprah Winfrey and David. The review read like this. David couldn't help that his interview with Oprah Winfrey uncomfortably disintegrated into discussions of black people in restaurants, satanic sacrifices, and one scream of rip her, Dave. Really odd. Yeah. 
as it turns out, the day before Oprah actually appeared on David Letterman's show, she'd featured a guest on her own show that claimed her family worshipped the devil and made sacrificial offerings of babies. Now, this was the 80s, remember. According to the New York Times, Oprah platformed a woman who expressed pretty deeply anti-Semitic ideas and didn't do enough to challenge her. Yeah, so the claim was, Oprah, you're shining a light on this deeply hate-filled person who is sharing anti-Semitic sentiment on your show and you're kind of letting it be aerated like you're not squashing it you're not condemning it enough you're just kind of pointing to it going what an interesting story instead of going what a harmful rhetoric to spread to millions of people absolutely so you can imagine then the next day when she went on late night she was receiving heckles from the audience Mm. ostensibly due to her blithe reaction to the anti-semitism displayed on her program David did nothing as well to protect her. And according to Oprah and according to reports around this time, this made Oprah feel uncomfortable. As she told Time magazine, she said, I was sort of the butt of his jokes. I felt completely uncomfortable sitting in that chair and I vowed I would never put myself in that position again. Yeah, years later, David commented on that interview with Oprah saying, I think Oprah resented the fact that I didn't rise to the occasion and, you know, beat up on the guy, which I probably should have, but I was completely out of control and didn't know what I was doing. It's so messy that they've had a feud about David not defending Oprah enough or not having Oprah's back when the original problem was Oprah not having the audience's back by like coming up against the woman on her show. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's it's kind of pretty ego driven. Yeah, isn't it? for sure. Also, Oprah Winfrey is Oprah Winfrey. Like she can handle it, I yeah. think, a little bit. She's one of the most powerful people in the media. If people are upset about anti-Semitism on her show... And they're heckling her. I mean, within, of course, what's reasonable. She's okay. Yeah, absolutely. David also had a different memory as well when it came to the origin of their feud. And it all had to do with a free lunch. (laughs) Speaking to Jon Stewart on The Late Show years later, David explained that he believed Oprah hated him because of a joke gone wrong in a restaurant. This one is so weird. It's super weird. The story goes like this. David said that both he and Oprah were once dining at the same restaurant, right? David thought it would be funny if he had lunch on Oprah and told the waiters to charge his and his partner's lunches to her card according to david oprah didn't find this practical joke amusing i do find it funny is that bad i think it's really funny but i think maybe if one of my pseudo enemies or like someone that i didn't have great relations with or you know what it might be a question of respect as well yeah if you felt like this guy didn't have respect for you or is punching down like if that's how it feels to you i can understand how that is irritating if you feel like it's someone who does respect you and is just sort of pulling a leg a little bit in that sense, it's funny to me. Yeah, I think it entirely depends on your dealings with that person yes. leading up to that moment. Yes. Yeah. There was also another theory entirely, and this brings us back to the timeline that we just briefly abandoned. Many people believe that the feud between David and Oprah was really kick-started by David's ill-received jokes when he was the host of the 67th Academy Awards in 1995. By all accounts, Hosting the Academy Awards in 95 was not the best night for David Letterman, (laughs) in 
fact, in 2011, Time magazine dubbed him the worst awards show host ever based <laughs> on this one performance. That's so many years later as well. That w- this would haunt me yeah, if yeah. this was me. Now, the New York Times reviewed his hosting gig and headlined their review, the winner isn't David Letterman. Kiss <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's why do comedians do it? Why host awards shows? It's, the money? I don't know. I think the paycheck would be so good. Do you reckon it would be even that good? I don't know, but this makes me feel really great about life. I love this as an analogy for life, that you can be as successful as David Letterman, but still have such public failures. Oh, that is exactly. so funny. Exactly. <laughs> During his performance, David made a weird, awkward joke about Oprah, Uma Thurman and Keanu Reeves' names. Here's a snippet of that joke. Oprah? Uma? Uma? Oprah? I feel much better. Have you kids met Keanu? I... I don't 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 get get it. it. And that's why I refuse to paraphrase it, because it's like... People will think I've misread the joke because it's not funny. Is he saying that their names are unusual and that they're peculiar? Is that the joke? And then if... Why is was- Keanu also always the butt of people's <laughs> jokes? It's like <laughs> David Letterman, Matthew, Matthew Perry. Perry. <laughs> like Oprah, Uma, Uma, Oprah. Have you kids met Keanu? It must be playing on their sort of funky names but I didn't really get it and why is he saying he couldn't wait to do that I know, it's like it's not a good enough joke for it to be for you to be like I can't wait for this yes for it to get it out I just don't think that joke is enough though to spark a 16 year long feud like it's not like he had a feud with Uma Thurman as well so I feel like it was quite layered and there were probably many reasons to why this feud happened we're going to talk about how it manifested over those 16 years after the break All right, Zara. So it's important to note that over the years, the feud between David and Oprah became a running joke on David Letterman's show. For example, in the year 2000, when Oprah announced O Magazine, David took on the new magazine in a segment on the show that he called Top 10. During that segment, he ranked, and I quote, the top 10 articles from Oprah's new magazine, (laughs) including number nine, do what I say or I'll make a new movie. Number seven, while you're reading this, I made $50 million. (laughs) Number four, my love affair with Oprah by Oprah. What the hell? And number three, do it. You suckers will never know what it's like to live in a solid gold mansion. This is the thing, like... It's quite good, actually. I find them... I do find them quite funny, but once again, it will depend... My ability to laugh <laughs> or whether I'm allowed to laugh will depend entirely on, like, the power dynamic between yeah, these yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. But, yes, let's assume it was all well and good, then that's funny. Regardless of what actually sparked the feud, Oprah did not come back as a guest, as we said, until December 1, 2005, when she finally reappeared to a lot of fanfare. Now, she was promoting the Broadway musical The Colour Purple, which she produced. And during the interview, David revealed that his team tried to contact Oprah virtually every week for 16 and a half years to try and get her back on the show. Yeah, maybe why I feel 
you're licensed to laugh at all of this is because how Oprah actually talked True. about the feud True. on David's show. She actually denied that there was ever a feud to begin with, which is weird because it goes against the quote that we read out yeah, earlier from her saying that she felt deeply uncomfortable. Here's a snippet of Oprah discussing the so-called feud on David Letterman. Could you tell me, please, what has transpired? <laughs> this, I am really so curious because for years I've heard you talk about, and now the press talks about this big feud that yes, we have. Yes. I have never in my, had a moment feud right. with you, no, as far as I knew. I think you're right about that. I, I think it takes two people to feud. Exactly. I love that. After refusing to go on someone's show for 16 years, finally <laughs> reaping and saying, now, now, remind me why I haven't been here or why people sort of talk about a feud. It's so gaslighty. I love it from Oprah. I know. It's not really clear, obviously, what she might be getting at. At any rate, David is on his best behaviour during this interview. Yes. I imagine he was briefed within an inch of his life. During the interview, he describes her as a television icon, Academy Award nominee and humanitarian. Oh, and, you know if you're getting yeah. humanitarian thrown in in there you've been brief absolutely and he told her it meant a great deal to him to have her back on the show yeah i mean not a great enemy for him to have no and oprah officially called off their feud or so-called feud when she handed david an elaborately wrapped gift which just so happened to be a signed photo of oprah and uma thurman now as david unwrapped the gift oprah said i wanted you to know that it's really over okay whatever it is you thought was happening is over there is no feud. There is only peace and love. So first she's saying, what's this big feud? And then secondly, she's giving him a gift and saying, the feud's over. It's peace. We're calling peace. Later in the show, Oprah invited David to accompany her to the opening night of The Colour Purple, which happened to be playing at the theatre across the road from where they were filming The Late Show. Yeah, an estimated 13 million people watched that episode of The Late Show with David Letterman. It was David's biggest audience in over a decade. And now, after Oprah appeared on the show in 2005, David fell back into his old trope of, like, kind of having digs at Oprah Winfrey on his show over the years. Like, he poked fun at her weight at one point and said that he thought Oprah and her best friend Gail were actually lovers, not just friends. Maybe he'd got what he wanted, which was getting Oprah back on the show, getting those 13 million eyeballs, and yeah. then just didn't really give a fuck. Regardless, the pair actually starred in a short Super Bowl ad in 2007 in which they played a couple who barracked for opposing teams. And even though we still have a lot of <laughs> questions about it, it seemed like they were fine. I still... Part of me wonders with this feud, if there was like definitely a seed of we actually don't like each Animosity, other. Animosity, yeah. The media definitely built it up yep. to be quite a big thing. They did nothing to dispel that. And then it became kind of good for their brand to have this big sort of feud that is not entirely PR constructed, but is not not PR constructed. I agree. I think my theory on this is they didn't really like each other. I don't think yes. Oprah liked no, David Letterman. I don't think she liked him at all. But when she has the option to use David Letterman to promote her new project in the colour purple, and when she can then pocket what I imagine would be big, big bucks for a Super Bowl ad a couple of years later, I think she's a little willing to overlook yeah. maybe the slightly negative feeling she has for a man to go, well, I can, I can profit from this and I can benefit from this and I'll turn a blind eye to all the shitty things that you've said about me. Yeah, or just walking into it saying, I know what you think you're getting out of this, but I think I'm getting the better end of yes. the deal, yeah. truthfully. 
Now back to David Letterman's career and influence on late night television show because there is no underestimating the impact he's had on television and comedy over the years. According to Rolling Stone, he launched the blueprint for not only modern talk shows but for the cheeky, sceptical way we perceive and ridicule pop culture. Maybe we're here because of David Letterman. Truly, maybe we are. I don't think we're... uh, comedians. (laughs) David Sims from The Atlantic described David as darkly rebellious and wrote that most American comedians who found major success in the last 20 years owe a debt to his work. Yeah, wow. By 2009, David was still under contract with CBS and by this point in his career was earning a reported $38 million a year for doing The Late Show. The Late Show at this point was also averaging about 3.6 million viewers a night. A very respectable amount considering how much the media and TV landscape had changed since he began his late Mm. night hosting run back in the 80s. Yeah. Despite his popularity, David Letterman was fairly private when it came to his family and personal life. We mentioned earlier he did have a first marriage to his high school sweetheart, Michelle Cook. They got married in 1968 when he was just actually only 21 years old. They divorced nine years later in 1977 when his career really skyrocketed. His next significant relationship was with a woman named Meryl Marco, who he met on the set of Mary Tyler Moore's variety show in 1978. Meryl then actually went on to become the head writer on his morning show and also eventually the head writer on his night show. Meryl was actually the brains behind some of his most popular segments, including Stupid Patrick. So they're in a very serious relationship, but Meryl is also like instrumental in building his professional success. Absolutely. Meryl's work on his show has been praised by critics for decades and has been described by Refinery29's Lauren Levine as a defining voice in late night history. Now, David and Meryl never married, but they had a long-term relationship from 1978 to about 1988. It's hard to note exactly Mm. when this relationship ended and you'll understand why in a second. (laughs) The couple did live together for much of this time. Now, what happened while he was with Meryl Marco is he met his now current wife, Regina Lasco. So David's current wife is a production manager named Regina Lasco. He met her in 1986 when he was still living and working with Meryl. Yes, Regina Lasco was working as a production staffer on Late Night with David Letterman when they met. So you've kind of got this awkward dynamic. You've got him living with his long-term partner of 10 years. Who works on the show. Who works on the show, who's the head writer. And then there's a production staffer who starts in 1986 who later becomes his wife. Yes. Now, it seems like potentially there was a tiny bit of overlap with the timelines here. We don't know for sure. We do know that Meryl stopped working for David when they split. She left the show. And when he sat down to do an interview with Rolling Stone years later, he confessed that he and Meryl were estranged for a long time. He didn't know when her mother passed away and he said that his attempts to get her back on the show again to talk about things like her new book or her new projects were completely futile. Here's how the quote reads. We wanted her to be on the show to promote her book, but the only request we made because of her relationship with me and the show was that we wanted her to do our show first. It made a difference to me, but it didn't happen. She did every other show, Howard Stern, Arsenio Hall, Jay, which is fine. She's one of the smartest people I've ever known in my life. I mean, we haven't had a good idea since she left. Yes. So he moves on from Meromarco 
who's instrumental to the show <laughs> in his career, and gets together with Regina Lasco. And it turns out they're in it for the long haul. The couple had a child together in 2003 and named the kid Harry Joseph Letterman. In a pretty terrifying turn of events, Mish, a young Harry was almost kidnapped by a painter who worked at David's Montana Ranch in 2005. Now, this painter, a guy named Kelly A. Frank, had planned to kidnap Harry and his nanny and hold them for ransom for $5 million. Thankfully, Frank had told an acquaintance about the plan who alerted the police and the plan was foiled. Yeah, it's a crazy story, but the story of David's life is crazy. After almost 20 years together, David and Regina married on March 19, 2009 in a small, quiet ceremony in Montana. David announced the marriage on The Late Show the following Monday. Speaking to the audience, he said, I had avoided getting married pretty good for like 23 years. And I, honestly, whether this happened or not, I secretly felt that men who were married admired me. Like I was the last of the real gunslingers. You know what I'm saying? What a quote. I mean, here's the thing, right? In 2009, David Lenneman was about 61, 62 years old. Mm. It's not young to be getting married for the second time or to sort of say everybody loved me as a bachelor, but, you know, I, I'll just do it. I'll it's just... anno- There's something annoying about it. Yeah, well, there's something annoying. There's lots annoying about <laughs> David Letterman. Now, in June 2009, David actually interviewed Julia Roberts on The Late Show and spoke to her about his marriage to Regina. Now, this was of note because he didn't speak about his private life very often. He didn't talk about Regina very often. He said, I have never been more deeply in love. And then he followed this up by quickly joking that he knew Regina was watching at home. So it was like, I'll be sentimental, but then also I'm the funny guy who's meant to be the spatula for all these years. So I don't want people to think that I'm too sentimental. He wants to straddle both camps yeah a little bit of a pattern is emerging here as well I think David consistently adopted the role of like public spokesperson for his relationships all while his long-term partners tended to stay out of the public eye yeah which is fair I imagine that was a conversation I mean it would be a lot to be in the public eye with someone as famous as David Letterman but I do think it's quite relevant in the story we're about to tell Mm. that he did pick partners who were very much out of the public eye and who kept quite private lives so that's what we knew about David Letterman and Regina's marriage which is to say we didn't know that much however just three months after proclaiming how deeply in love he was on national television David Letterman's public image was about to be completely rocked by one little mysterious package. Yes. At 6am on September 9, 2009, a 62-year-old David Letterman was about to drive to work when he spotted a mysterious package sitting on the back seat of his car. I know this is completely irrelevant, but it really did shock me that a late night TV host is getting ready to go to work at 6am in the morning. That, yeah, I know that's so silly, but like he clearly works for that 38 mil a year. Yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that. Also, how does somebody get a package into the backseat of your car unless you're leaving your car open? There was a letter accompanying the package. It read, I know that you do some terrible, terrible things and I can prove you do these terrible things. So what was inside this package? Well, apparently it included a one-page movie treatment, which is essentially a description of like a movie plot. According to Vanity Fair, this movie was to feature a protagonist with, and we quote, great professional success and a beautiful loving son 
who was about to experience a personal apocalypse. Does that sound familiar? Yes. The protagonist's world, according to this proposed movie script, was about to collapse around him as the sordid details of his private life were exposed, leading to a ruined reputation. The package also included assurances that the claims made in the treatment, which was ostensibly based on personal details of David's life and career, could be backed up with evidence. Then the package demanded a response from David within two hours. Yikes. Can you imagine your heart rate? If you open something like that in your car. Even if I didn't really have any skeletons oh, in my closet, I just assume I'd done something wrong. A hundred percent. And you would be sitting in your car reading this at 6am thinking, is this person watching me right now? Like, yeah. is someone looking at me opening this? You'd also have to assume that you're just being played and not in, in a serious way. You'd have to think that someone is playing a joke on you. Yeah. After discovering the package and looking through its contents, David called his lawyer who encouraged him to set up a meeting with the blackmailer, which was interesting advice. So on September 15, 2009, David Letterman's lawyer, Jim Jackaway, met with the blackmailer who turned out to be a CBS news producer by the name of Robert Holderman. Yeah, 51-year-old Robert was well known for his television work in war zones and at the time was a producer on the true crime series 48 Hours. He had never met David Letterman before, but they did both work at the same network and had some mutual acquaintances. Yes, in his demand letter, Robert told David that he needed to make, and I quote, a large chunk of money. As we were to find out a few days later, Robert was seriously financially strapped. He was struggling to make his $6,800 per month alimony payments and also was grieving a recent breakup, which saw his ex-wife and child move to Colorado far from Robert in Connecticut. Yeah. After Jim's first meeting, so the lawyer's first meeting with Robert, which took place at a hotel in Central Park South in New York on September 15. David Letterman and his lawyer alerted the New York County District Attorney's Special Prosecutions Bureau to what had happened. According to David Letterman, the Bureau immediately identified the situation as extortion. Yeah, the Bureau advised David to set up another meeting with Robert just to confirm that he was like quite serious about this. That meeting occurred on September 23, 2009 at the same hotel that they met at the first. The thing was, this time, the room in which Robert and Jim met had now been rigged with recording equipment so government agents could analyse the footage from an adjoining hotel room. It sounds like a crime novel or yeah. something. Like, it's like one of those things that's like, are you wearing a wire? <laughs> yeah, but I think that's what surprises me a little bit is that this guy, Robert, I mean, maybe in his total desperation, just didn't even think that, of course people would be listening to these conversations in these meetings yeah all of these meetings wouldn't you get to the point where you're like why do we need to talk again just yeah, give it a catch. yeah. <laughs> great i know what you'd be like as a an extortionist Pathetic. Now, on september 30 jim and robert had one more meeting at the hotel so robert was like Robert was like, yeah, I'm free. Let's uh, get coffee. Let's do it again. <laughs> and this meeting was also observed by government agents. By the end of this final meeting, Jim had handed Robert a fake check for $2 million to, as far as he knew, keep Robert from turning the treatment into a film. Now, Robert attempted to deposit that check the following morning. It was October 1, 2009. That same day, David Letterman appeared before a Manhattan grand jury to tell his story. The grand jury subsequently issued an indictment against Robert for attempted grand larceny in the first degree, 
by extortion. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly did David Letterman do? What were the terrible things being held over his head for a $2 million ransom? Well, guys, the very next day, David Letterman would take the power into his own hands and he would confess the sordid details of his personal life to the entire world live on television. Yeah, and not even the people working on his show knew what was happening, what he was going to say or why he was going to say it. And we are going to talk about all of that, the sordid things, the speech, the live television <laughs> shebang. We need suspense music playing underneath. <laughs> on our next episode of Scandal. And boy, is it a good one. This needs to be made into a movie. Truly, yes, you're absolutely right. How is this not... Maybe it is. Maybe we need to look into this and tell you all in episode two. This feels like a film and I would watch the shit out of that movie. You don't even like cinema and I know for a fact you would watch <laughs> I would watch this film. <laughs> a massive thank you to our researcher Eilish Gilligan for putting this one together alongside you and I, Mitch. We will be back in your ears on Thursday for another wrap in the week that was in pop culture. Of course, if you want to listen to part two right away, you know how to do that. Just subscribe on Apple Podcasts to Shame More, the subscription arm of Shameless Podcast, where we drop these episodes in one go so you can binge them. If you're not keen on doing that, then this will be all yours next Monday. Next Monday. As always, follow us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast, on TikTok at Shameless underscore podcast. We will post all the throwback content for you there. Otherwise, have a great day. Have a great week. We'll be back in your ears on Thursday. See ya. Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.